I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of News Beat. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episodes like the examination of the youth-led fight for climate justice, our look at the troubling intersection of the mentally ill and our criminal justice system, and a special bonus episode examining recent updates to the bail reform movement and the troubling release of the Afghanistan Papers. Now, all these topics, these interviews with top-notch experts and activists, and our unique, compelling blend of journalism, music, and original lyrics from brilliant independent hip-hop artists is the reason why we were named Best Journalism Podcast by the New York Press Club and the Society of Professional Journalists Long Island Chapter. Now, aside from the bonus apps, we're working on a few new full-length episodes that'll continue to shine much-needed light on social injustices and the folks that are working to right those wrongs. But in the meantime, while many of us are enjoying the holiday season in the comfort of our homes, we thought it was a good time to re-up on one of our early episodes that some new followers might not have caught yet. It's actually the one episode that one of us ends up referring to the most, as every few weeks a story in the news makes it, sadly, relevant again. It's called Exonerated and Broke, and it examines the dual injustices of wrongful incarceration and the fact that after some are exonerated and released, sometimes after decades, they're met with little to no compensation from the agencies that put them behind bars in the first place. In this episode, we'll hear from Rebecca Brown from The Innocence Project, Emily Bazelon from The New York Times, and a powerful testimony from exoneree Alan Newton. This episode's original, compelling lyrical contribution is from our artist in residence, Silent Night. And once again, I'm Manny Faces, and for the entire Newsbeat and Maury Creative Studios teams, we wish you a very happy holiday season. Give us the gift of a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on social media at US Newsbeat. Swing by usnewsbeat.com to find out more about us if you're so inclined, and, and until our next episode, again, happy holidays, enjoy yourselves. Be safe and stay woke. Breaking news from WDSU. After spending 15 years in prison, a Jefferson Parish man is free. DNA evidence exonerated Damon Thibodeau, who is on death row at Angola, serving a sentence for the rape and murder of his 14-year-old cousin. The man spent 32 years behind bars for a murder he did not commit, and now he is finally being set free. Susan Mellon is celebrating her freedom tonight after spending 17 years in prison for a crime she didn't commit. An emotional day in an L.A. courtroom today. A judge threw out the case of a man convicted of three rapes he did not commit. Brothers were released from prison after serving 31 years for a crime they did not commit. One of them had been on death row. Can you try to briefly describe the daily hell and torture it was being incarcerated for a crime that you did not do, let alone a sexual assault rape for over 20 years? Uh, I mean, everybody have a different way of describing um Damn, that's a good question, man. One day at a time. I need a moment. The crime happened on June 23rd, 1984. She said she was abducted, taken to a park, robbed, raped, and sodomized. 
The guy ran off, and she ran after the guy to get her $15 back. She caught the guy, and the guy gave her $15 back. Then they walked away. She went to catch a cab to go home. The same person came and abducted her again, took her into an abandoned building this time. He raped her again, robbed her again for the same money, and this time he cut her. He cut on her left eye. I was with my fiance and their family and we went to see Ghostbusters and you know, my fiance testified on my behalf, her daughter testified on my behalf that I was with them and because, you know, I had a photograph in the books from, you know, 1979, the year I graduated high school. I got arrested for a fight that happened outside the PAL. You know, I was gambling, you know, with a lot of other friends and, you know, money dispute. So when the victim was going through some photographs, you know, I got picked out and I was arrested June 28th. You know, we actually had tickets. We actually had the ticket stubs. So we had, you know, the evidence, you know, where we, you know, where we was in a different borough in Queens County. And, but, you know, they was hell bent on making an arrest, you know, regardless of the circumstances. And, you know, at that time, it wasn't no DNA how it is today. So you couldn't just prove your case, you know, on, you know, on that facts. And so they wanted to go with, with what they had. I was found guilty of rape, robbery, and assault in the building. Even when I was trying to prove my innocence for all those years, I mean, in regards to, you know, the alibi and, you know, it was wrong. It wasn't until, you know, the advent of DNA testimony came out that it was like, look, if I can find this DNA, I can absolutely prove that I didn't commit this crime because it's DNA. The DNA doesn't lie. Lying down with my wife and child, tired, been a long night, but now I'm chilling, happy, full. I mean, we built a nice little life, I'm proud. Bell ringing, it's late though. Door knocking, it's straight though. Y'all stay here, I'ma get it. Probably somebody got locked out the place, you know. Fast forward this whirlwind, now I'm hurled into a cell. Got my girl flipping as well. My whole world slipping, no bell. Feel like I'm sitting right on the rail. How the hell they really gon' think I got it in me? I ain't never heard a damn soul, God forgive me. Plus I got four witnesses, I mean really? Cause I'm a prior, cause of my skin. I told you I'm tired, you ask me again. You tell me again, repeat it, repeat it. If I wanna see my family, I just eat it. Guess I just plead it, cause so far this pleading and making a difference, I feel so defeated. How is this legal? How is this real? Yo, everything feels so walls closing in. I know my family and friends know the deal. None of that matters if we being real. I hope my family and friends know the deal. If we gotta fight this, if we gon' appeal. I'm tired, confused, yeah, I sign a confused. But I ain't never fire a weapon And I ain't never touched no girl That's a lie, I would die first, not even a question DNA is really considered in the forensic community to be the gold standard of forensic technology. So it really is sort of the ultimate truth teller. Um, and the value of that, of course, in a policy setting is that we have sort of an unassailable group of exonerations that we can point to to say, you know, these are um, in fact happening and we know what the common causes of wrongful conviction are. When people are exonerated um, and released from prison, and sometimes they are exonerated after they've done their time, uh, proven innocent, post-conviction testing uh, way later, um, just to clear their names. Um, once people are exonerated, uh, 
hopefully they are in a position to be compensated. And I say hopefully because we have learned in state after state that it's incredibly difficult to receive compensation. Uh, each state has to have a compensation framework in order to provide restitution to the wrongfully convicted. And only 32 states presently have compensation statutes. 18 do not. And of those 32 states, I would say a majority of those statutes are woefully inadequate. It's a huge fight to be exonerated in the first place. When you think about it, the burden is really on the defendant in a post-conviction setting to prove their innocence um, versus at the trial level where that's flipped. Not only is it hard, but now you have to find an attorney that have the resources to be able to prosecute and be able to raise the resources that the state can raise because the state is unlimited. We're talking about a relatively powerless group of people. I mean, these are people who went to prison for something they didn't do. They are trying to get their lives back together, but they're not necessarily going to have the kinds of political connections or clout to be able to convince states to pass laws that um, that respect their ordeal and um, give them the kinds of resources they need in order to do well when they get out of prison. So, you know, the day a person is exonerated, you know, it's a big celebration, the cameras are there, everyone is paying attention, and basically the next day, everyone is gone. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't many people trying to provide social work services and, you know, people attached to different organizations, innocence organizations doing that work. But the point is that people really have nothing. They don't even have an identification card. They don't necessarily have glasses or prescriptions ready. They don't have anything that they need. Ideally, um, when somebody is exonerated, they should be attached to immediate subsistence right away, right out of the gate, right? They should have the money to be able to at least survive pending their claim for statutory damages or civil damages. I mean, it just shouldn't be years and years. We know on average people are spending, you know, waiting two to three years before they get any sort of damages or, or a civil settlement of any kind. Not only do I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones that got, you know, compensated so far, but in regards to, you know, states that don't have compensation, that just flatly refuse to do anything in regards to helping people, it's left on people that has goodwill. And so we go back into these other states with the policy staff or the Innocence Project and, you know, speak to these politicians and try to get access to the legislative and advocate, like, why don't y'all want compensation? Why do y'all refuse? They attitude a lot of times that these men and women should just be glad that they home. They should just be glad that the system finally worked for them. And, you know, the system didn't work. If it really did work, it would finish working by, you know, compensating and passing these laws to help them out. Years passing, I don't feel no compassion. Try to motivate, some check the DNA, but it just ain't happening. Another birthday gathering, another first day of classes, high school dances, touring the campus, praying, waiting for a retrial. Meanwhile, my daughter's 23 now, sweet gal, find a good man, and I can't walk her down the aisle. 
I miss so much, miss so much. Maybe I deserve this. Maybe. I mean to try to be a good father, but goddamn, I know I ain't perfect. Need a miracle. I ain't giving hope up long as I'm still here living. Got my faith and I got my time. We can make something happen. It's close, I can feel it. Try to be a realist, but this ain't real. Got me chained up, this ain't free will. Got me banged up in this little ass cell. Talking two decades, living in hell. Just when I felt I could no longer stand. Got the best call that I ever could have. Fell to my knees and I raised up my hands. Praise in advance. If it's in the plans, I'll be a free man. I see all my fam. I'll be in my home. I'll be all I can. That's just what happened. It proved that I'm innocent. After 25 years of imprisonment. A man named Glenn Ford went to trial in Louisiana. A black man who did yard work for Isidore Roseman, and he was a jeweler, and he was robbed and shot to death in his own shop. And the trial just had all kinds of problems with it. One of the problems was that at the time, Ford's lawyers had never tried a criminal case, and they were being paid less than $3 an hour to defend him. They didn't know that they could ask for money to pay for experts, so they didn't hire any. And even though Glenn Ford was black, the jury was all white. And at the time, the rules in Louisiana made it, and actually nationally, made it difficult to prove racial discrimination in jury selection. So nobody challenged the all-white composition of the jury. And this was a courtroom in Louisiana that was actually flying the Confederate flag. Glenn Ford was found guilty. He maintained his innocence throughout, but he was sent to death row in Angola, which is a notorious prison in Louisiana. And he spent decades there trying to appeal his conviction and prove his innocence, but it took nearly 30 years before his conviction was overturned. Mr. Ford, you've waited a lifetime for this moment. How's it feel to be a free man? Hey, it's still, uh, my mind going all kinds of directions, but it feels good. Do you harbor any resentment? Yeah, because I was locked up almost 30 years. It's something I didn't do. So in an important sense, Ford finally, 30 years later, got justice. But in another really important sense, he did not receive justice. Ford was given only $20 when he left Angola prison. And so he went to court to ask for compensation for all of those years that he spent in prison. Being arrested for a crime you didn't commit, given the death sentence, it's one of the worst things anyone can imagine. Do you stay angry the whole time or what? No, well, you get angry, you be feeling helpless. But I never felt hopeless, just helpless. Angry. And don't know which way to go. So I couldn't do nothing but wait. So Ford was trying to get a total amount of $330,000 for all the years that he spent in prison, but he was not able to receive a single penny. Glenn Ford here spent nearly 30 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. According to the Innocence Project in New Orleans, Ford spent 29 years, three months and five days of his life in solitary confinement on death row. An innocent man, years behind bars, spending every waking moment wondering if this would be the week he dies. Well, last year, Ford was exonerated. He had been the longest serving death row inmate in the U.S. at the time of his release. And just yesterday, Glenn Ford died. He only tasted freedom for a few months after losing his entire adult life. 
the reason Glenn Ford had so much trouble getting any kind of compensation for his wrongful conviction and his years in prison is that in Louisiana, as in certain other states, to get compensation from the state um, when you're exonerated, you have to prove what's called your factual innocence. And Louisiana interprets that to mean that you have to show you didn't commit not only the crime that you were convicted for, but any crime based on the same set of facts. And so in Ford's case, the state attorney general's office, which is the place that handles compensation cases, the state attorney general's office argued that Ford did not have clean hands, meaning he wasn't totally innocent. Because after Isidore Roseman was killed, Ford told the police he knew about the plans for the robbery and pawned some of the stolen jewelry and tried to sell the gun that was used in the murder. Ford's lawyer argued that he cooperated with the police because he implicated the real killer. But they came up with basically these minor crimes that he'd never been charged with and hadn't been able to prove his innocence on. And they used those crimes to deprive him of his eligibility for any kind of monetary compensation from the state. There are other bars that exist. For instance, in the state of New Jersey, if you pled guilty to the crime for which you were wrongfully convicted, you don't get compensated under the law. Um, and we know from our DNA-based exonerations that 10% of our clients pled guilty to crimes that they didn't commit. I think it's hard to describe the unique horror of wrongful conviction, right? It's almost Kafka-esque. You know, you've spent years and years behind bars for a crime you didn't commit. You come out and there's basically nothing for you. You know, all of these years were robbed from you. Your your ability to form a family, your years to professionally develop. You know, you, you watch your entire cohort of friends go on and get married and have children and, and get jobs and, you know, get homes. You know, people are now leaving with nothing and they're starting their lives all over. It's basically a second sentence. And so the least that we can do, the least that we can do is provide restitution, provide compensation so that people are in a position not just to survive, but to thrive. Once you get compensated, you can move forward. And you, like I said, you could become a voice, you know, for yourself, for the system, for the things that's still happening out here. But when you wrongfully convicted and you know it in jail, you don't have time for anything except trying to prove your innocence. It makes it that much harder when you step out the door. I wonder how many people know about these rules for compensation, and I wonder if people imagine that it's relatively easy to get some money, that it seems obvious if you have been in prison for something that you didn't do, that the state would try to help you afterward. I imagine most people just haven't thought about it at all. But I think that when you confront these laws, um, which to me seem unjust, it makes you really question um, how much power the state has over people's lives and the basis for its authority over us. It just seems like such a basic point and one that should be handled quite differently than it is in most parts of the country. Freedom is bittersweet though. Only been a week home. Already seems so different. I don't mean to be cold, but I'm having trouble sleeping, just breathing, kind of hard for me to cope, I'm trying to be in beast mode, but my life got repo, now I'm shook every time I see police roll by, they ain't even gotta have a reason why, can't find a J-O-B, so I feel like we're gonna end up in the streets, no lie, I don't even have a job history, who really gonna take a risk on me, when I'm damn near 53, can barely work at Mickey D's, I'm supposed to be grateful, this is what I pray for, or they made a mistake, oh, Top it off, what they do pay so low? Nah, please, please. Keep your apologies. Change your policies. 
give me more options, please. You robbed me of my life. I'm not the only one. Now you gotta pay for what you owe to them. Can happen to anyone. All walks of life, not just me. The other scary thing is the real killer's still out there free.